Is depression funny? It is funny. Um, it's that it's literally like that kind of, you know, we can look back and laugh kind of funny sometimes when you smack yourself in the forehead and think, what a fool. Says there's something wrong with me. I've got a sadness I can't shake now. Is there something I can't take now? It's the hilarious world of depression. I'm John Moe. On this episode, a comedy adjacent musician, singer, songwriter, punk rocker deals with trauma and mental illness, in part by flinging his body at things. Life deals this person plenty of reasons to give up, and he doesn't. He sings. Uh, my name is Ted Leo, and uh, I am at my home in southern Rhode Island. Ted Leo has been playing in bands and putting out records for going on three decades. Wikipedia lists 26 releases over the course of his career. Ted's music often manages to be intense, pretty, and fast, which is a tricky combination. His latest album is The Hanged Man, came out last year, and it's the first Ted Leo record in seven years. This song is Can't Go Back. Shattered on this stretch of sea. How many times I stood here mapping things out differently, but I can't go back. No, I can't go back. Ted's been building his comedy chops in recent years too, on stage, on podcasts, and videos. Here he is in a sketch on my old show, Wits. Before I played bass. I was a criminal. The bass saved my life. And I help out using these. The scales of justice. He's also known as one of the nicest guys in music. People love Ted. People root for Ted. All right, I'm afraid it's a pretty rough gear shift from the comedy and music you've already heard to what happened when he was a kid. Growing up in New Jersey, just outside New York City. When I was um, very young, uh, and I, I honestly don't even remember the exact years, but let's say, you know, from six to eight, you know, somewhere in that zone, um, I was uh, sexually abused by, a, by an older boy in my neighborhood. And then when I was 10, um, I was uh, sexually abused by my piano teacher. Talking about this stuff in public is new to Ted Leo. He's only been doing it since last summer. He's 47 years old. How long did that go on? It was a long tentative lead up to um, him crossing a line that precipitated um, one of my younger brothers saying something about it um, in a because he had also been touched, I guess, um, in, in a way that uh, he, you know, didn't really even register as anything other than like that's weird, and it just, you know, he, he offhandedly mentioned something in front of my parents about it. So this was after it had already been going on with you. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, the, the whole thing was shut down. So did you ever tell anybody at the time what was going on? No. Nope. 
I mean, I, in, at that moment, I, I, you know, I was, they asked me, you know, has this been going on with you? And I said, yes. And that, but I never talked about it other than that. How was it handled in your family? Uh, we just didn't talk about it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, this is tough because, um, I really don't want to, um, I'm in my late forties. Like I feel like I should be able to talk about this, but my, my parents are also still relatively young. And, um, but I do want to, you know, I do just want to emphasize that they did what they thought they could. Um, they did follow some, do some follow up with both the police and apparently a, um, you know, psychologist or something. Um, and they were counseled, you know, I think to not talk about it and to not have us have to like, you know, testify about it or, or anything. Um, you know, so they, they, that's where I think it got left. And, you know, I only through this process of, of, of me, you know, being public about this and then sort of, you know, forcing the conversation with them, have I learned more about what they actually did and what they, what they actually felt and how it's actually haunted them uh, all, all these years as well? I think I'm in a better place with them than I have been in a, in a really long time. So they, they weren't blowing it off. They were acting on the advice of somebody who they thought knew best, who was going off of the predominating opinion of the time, probably. I think that's right. Um, the effect on me, of course, though, was that after that initial conversation, I didn't know anything. That was it. You know, I was, I was just out there. Yeah. Did you ever talk to your brother about it? Nope. You know, I, I mean, I don't want to sound like an old fuddy-duddy, but it, it is kind of funny to think about... What a di like, I really feel like I grew up in a different world in so many ways, not just pre-internet, but a sort of, you know, like maybe the last generation of that kind of like old Irish, Italian, Catholic, um, you know, world where you just didn't talk about this stuff. You look the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Here's something I've noticed in how people deal with trauma. It seems to me you deal with it one way or another. You deal with it through therapy or mindfulness, or you deal with it through other behaviors, suppressing, denying, self-medication. And all those ways of dealing with it are still responses to what happened. I mean, I, I do think I can, I can look not just back, but um, at me right now and, and, uh, and understand um, that uh, I have, um, you know, dealt with, with uh sort of classical, you know, depression. Um, I would throw myself though. I would throw myself into situations in which I would get knocked around, you know? And as long as I was doing the throwing myself into those situations, um, I was fine with it. Are you talking about fights? I'm talking about some fights. I'm also just talking about, um, I'm even talking about like literally like playing, you know, crumpled up tinfoil, tinfoil ball football. Right, right. Heavy contact. Yeah, like you know, put, putting and then you know later on when I when I uh, was a little bit older, um, literally just throwing my body around, you know, doing dumb things with my body, you know, <laughs> being the uh, the the person who is happy to smash you know your head into the wall for comic 
relief. It's interesting to be talking about this like literally right now at the beginning of 2018 because I I I think I recently identified about a 10-year cycle which is coming around the bend right, right now. This kind of danger-seeking behavior emerged after the abuse. It's also something all kinds of boys just do for fun. Something else that developed over childhood was a love of music. The piano teacher had not stolen that. And New York had just the thing for a young person who was looking for an outlet. Punk rock. And it wasn't just the music. You know, it was also a, 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 a savior for me and a, a safe space for weirdos and, you know, um, and et cetera. But, um, uh, and a place that made me feel less crazy because um, I think a lot of what... Um, you know, depressed me was not just what I'd been through as a child, but honestly was just the condition of life, you know, the world injustice, you know, et cetera. And, um, and I think that I, you know, I found community, um, in the punk world that was very healthy for me. That said, you know, I also, um, I was willing to, um, to literally throw myself, you know, into the, air and really not care how I landed, you know, both metaphorically and actually. Yeah. Yeah. It helps to have a teenage body. <laughs> oh, indeed. God. Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah. It was weirdly resilient, you know, like you'd bounce back and just go like, ha ha. I should note, not all punk rockers are depressed or abused. Not all depressed or abused people become punk rockers. Still, Ted was hurling his body everywhere, getting way into punk rock. As a teenager, he was already singing in New York punk bands. I wondered if the abuse had kind of put him on a path to all this. It's maybe a chicken egg kind of thing. Um, maybe my patterns of behavior and thought that, that this set up for me. And I think the, probably the more damaging aspect of it for me was the, was the silence in the aftermath, you know, and again, this is hindsight, you know, but I think I felt very left to my own devices to, you know, navigate the world in some ways. And, um, I can now, you know, through, <laughs> through, um, therapy and actually like adult conversations with adult friends who, are, who have been helpful about this, um, you know, I've identified patterns of, of behavior and thought in myself that um, that I think were probably there, um, but that the aftermath of, of these events exacerbated. Ted graduates high school and goes off to college at Notre Dame in Indiana because it's the most punk rock college in America. No, it's not. It's quite the opposite. Well, in my late teens, I, I think I, I just really started um, getting angry. I started getting angry. I started lashing out. I, I started, uh, again, flinging my, myself and my body around. I often uh, overcompensated in, into like manic. Um, he's the crazy fun guy. Overcompensated for, for what? I would be the, you know, I'd be the clown. I'd be the clown that, um, as a reaction to the things that were making me angry or to like the injustice that I saw or whatever, you know, I'd be like, oh, you want to, you want a clown to smack around here? You know, I'll be that person. And, you know, I would th throw myself, you know, onto 
the floor as both like a, a, a diffuse, maybe a diffusing element of, of, you know, tension or anxiety, but also, um, but also again, like as a, as like a challenge in a way, um, I wonder what friends of mine in that uh, during this time period would say about this, because I think, you know, as we're talking about it now, like it must've, I mean, the anger that would be bubbling under the surface must've been very close to the surface. Like I imagine it probably wasn't too hard to, to see what was driving a lot of this, you know? Uh, also I, I really hated that place, Notre Dame. Uh, I, f- I found it, um, oppressive from the get go. It was not for me. Um, it was in the late eighties. It was, you know, there were a few people there obviously who there, there always will be, you know, who I gravitated to who were the, you know, the outsiders, um, there to a degree. But I mean, within a week of me, like arriving on campus, people were like, Oh, there's a, you know, there's a punk rocker here. You know, like uh-huh. it was that. It was that strange, and I felt like both on display and judged and um, diminished. You know, treated like a like a child. Ted ended up leaving Notre Dame early, combination of dropping out and being asked to leave. He says, but not before he met some like-minded kids from Washington D.C. And he moved back there with them, and he started a band with them. Yeah, this was a band called Chisel. That started out as, you know, more of just a, a melodic pop punk band. And um, but we we pretty quickly shifted uh, into, again, more of like a, a mod, you know, influenced um, kind of thing. And then that that lasted uh, quite a while. I mean, really until like 97, I think um, that band was going. Yeah. So then, uh, so then that means 97, you're starting to come up on the next, uh, decade turn in your life. This is really handy for me, Ted. I really like how you've (laughs) organized your life. I I literally just realized this earlier today, (laughs) like an hour before we began talking. This is a 10 year cycle. Ted Leo is like a car. And with the Ted Leo car, you have to bring it into the shop every 10 years or so because the engine starts to get anxious and angry and the car starts crashing into things. Coming up the next cycle, the late 20s. And you got to get a new transmission in there because that thing is busted. By the way, Ted returned to Notre Dame. Eventually, he finished his degree and got out of there again. He still hates that place. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illness, not just depression, but all kinds of mental illnesses. We enjoy having a lot of laughs on this show. It's a way of dealing with depression. It's a way of maybe demystifying depression a little bit, make it not so scary. But let's not kid ourselves. It's a serious disease. The good news is that people can and do get better. They get help. And that's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. It could be an awkward conversation, of course, but makeitokay.org is full of information that you can use. What to say, what not to say. And it has stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, or other mental illnesses. Go to makeitokay.org. You can take the pledge right there to Make It Okay. Thank you so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better.
That's a song called St. John the Divine, written and performed by Ted Leo. Ted says he wrote it in the late 90s when he was finally starting to figure out some things about his mental health. Here's how Ted describes that time. I began to, to be able to identify what felt like an actual filter that would emanate, you know, from somewhere in my the back of my skull and sort of, you know, coat my vision so that I began to think, you know, catastrophically and worst case scenario about everything that was in front of me. You distort your own reality. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And um, it was like a shade or, you know, a filter would come down over my eyes. And I began, I really began to, um, I began to be able to identify this and start to try to overcome it. This is the first, this is not the first time I went to therapy, but it's the first time I went to real therapy. I, I actually, um, had a stab at, at therapy in my late teens at one point. Um, I was brought there by my parents, um, in regard to, you know, what was going on, uh, at, in my early college years. And, um, it didn't really click. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what therapy was. Nobody, nobody could really explain it to me. The therapist didn't like me. <laughs> and uh, wait, how do you know the therapist didn't like you? Because uh, I was, I was actually. He told that to my parents, and my parents told me. <laughs> that, wow. Yeah, that um, he thought I was just like you know. I don't know why he thought I was there, but he thought I was not there for the right reasons. And honestly, I wasn't. I don't know why I was there. I didn't know why I was there at the time. Yeah, you you weren't ready to accept therapy at that point. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I you know, it's it uh I didn't even I didn't even know what it was for. But but that is that is a brave and <laughs> terrible therapist who says to someone's parents, I don't like your son. I know, I know. What are you going to do? I didn't like him either. <laughs> yeah, well, well, there you go. There you go. Now, with a good therapist, and please always choose a good therapist over a therapist who dislikes you and tells your parents that. With a good therapist, Ted was able to work on breaking habits. I had a lot of energy that I didn't, it was negative energy. I didn't know how to channel it. And, you know, like I did a lot of like punching the walls, beating up a file cabinet, you know, kind of thing. Because as an extension, I think of that earlier physical thing that we were talking about, just like, I needed to feel something like that. Yeah. Did you want to feel pain because you were trying to punish yourself? I think um, it was something else. I think it was a challenge to the universe to, I, I, you know, I don't know, even as I, I was about to say to, to, you know, to make me, to hurt me more than I can hurt myself, you know, um, but that does sound sort of self-punishing, I guess. So is this, were these therapy sessions where you first heard the word depression in, in regard to what might be going on with you? No, 
in fact, I think like I think that what led me to feel like I should go to a therapist was that yeah, I can't remember if I was reading something or what, but it 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 occurred to me at a certain point in time that like oh. I might be depressed, you know, uh, like I might have, and not just in the like, wham, I'm sad kind of way. Right. Not, not the mood, the actual condition. Yeah. Yeah. When did that happen? Right around this time, you know, like, uh, in my, like say 27 or something like that. Ted started looking around at other opportunities to get on track, like with his band Chisel. I remember uh, the, like the second to last show we played was a, like a house it was like a house show in Auburn, Alabama, and um, we'd been going through this back and forth about you know signing to a major label, not signing to a major label. I I very much didn't want to, um, and it's that kind of thing where I guess if you're having fun or making money, you can justify staying in a <laughs> staying in a situation in which you're either not having fun nor making money. But if you're both not having fun and not making money, you know, um, maybe it's time to, you know, maybe it's time to move on. And uh, I remember just, you know, it was just this kind of classic, like, oh, yeah, the PA was supposed to be here by now, but it hasn't shown up yet. You know, and everybody's just like sitting around, just sitting around doing nothing at this house outside of you know, in like the country outside of Auburn, Alabama, where this show was supposed to happen. And I was just sitting and sitting and sitting on this porch, staring at the ground until I realized that I had been sitting there for hours. Like, oh. and, um, and then I was, I was like, all right, it's proactive move time. And, um, <sighs> and I, I said, guys, after tomorrow night, I'm, I'm out. As an experiment, he formed Ted Leo and the Pharmacists, of which he's always been the only consistent member. And he made music that didn't fit any particular genre. This is the first track off their debut album. Catchy, isn't it? Toe tapper? Later on, the experiments would come together for a more pop-punk sound. Like if the Beach Boys had been skateboarders in the 80s. Now, like I said, Ted's latest album, The Hanged Man, came out last year. But before that, it had been seven years since the last new Ted Leo and the Pharmacists record, The Brutalist Bricks. The album that I made previous to The Hanged Man was made on the third turn of that 10-year cycle of mine. Okay. Those years were some of the worst for me. I, was, I had lapsed back into all my worst habits of you know, putting myself in harm's way just to see what would happen, you know, and I, you know, I don't like not, I'm not talking about drugs or, you know, cutting or anything like that, but just when I finished the, really finished the touring cycle on that album and I looked back, I realized that I had spent years like beating up my own songs. I, that the touring then was, uh, you know, I was driving the tempo and my my band like so hard and I was you know there was no there was not a lot of joy in what I was doing it was 
it was it was very angry. You were beating up your songs instead of a file cabinet. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And why were you doing that? I think it was just another negative expression of feelings of of maybe maybe wanting to be heard, wanting to be understood and I was, you know, ramming it down my own throat. Ted's life wasn't just music, though. His wife Jody was diagnosed with a very rare autoimmune condition in 2007, from which she eventually recovered. In 2011, Ted and Jody lost a daughter to a late-term miscarriage. I think the biggest challenge was uh, how to not run away. <laughs> you know, um, uh, how to... Um, how to turn into the very challenging um, and uh, tender uh, center here in this relationship and, and as opposed to um, just, you know, flailing uh, out outward, you know, uh, obviously we, it's, it's a, it's a conversation you need to, you need to do both, you know, but, um, I had, um, some memory loss after, uh, our, after we lost the child, like there are a couple of weeks of my life that I, I don't had, they did not imprint, you know? And so there was obviously, I guess that's, I guess that's shock. I don't, I don't really know. Still bills needed to get paid. Ted could literally not afford to retreat from the world. I, should have been probably off the road and, you know, in therapy, but trying to, but I wasn't, I was the only breadwinner at that point in time. And, um, uh, you know, trying to, uh, be a caretaker and work in the way that I had to work to actually make money, which is also travel, you know, um, was, was a really, really off kilter, um, a few years there. Um, and eventually when things settled down, I think I, 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 again, like I started lashing out ultimately at, at myself. I think a lot of us can relate to what he's talking about here, wanting to get better, wanting to do the hard work to fix your mind, but you have to go work at your job because there are bills to pay and there's just no time or money left for health. It sucks. Over the next several years, Ted Leo wrote dozens of songs, but wasn't putting out an album because he couldn't figure out what he was making music for. The economics of the recording industry were shot. He had problems at his label. It was a mess. Then Amy Mann called. You remember Amy. She was on our show a few months ago. Amy invited Ted on tour, and they hit it off, eventually forming a band, recording and touring as The Both. When I started working with with Amy, it was a fresh start. We we had been touring together, um, you know, me opening for her for for quite a while before we started 
our band oh, quite a while, a couple of years. Um, and uh, it was very helpful to to spend so much time with someone who I could actually talk about this stuff with, who was not as invested, you know, like a therapist, you know, who was not as invested in, in my life. I think we were, we were both, we were both, um, spiraling in different ways. And I think that, um, our, the new project that we started sort of, uh, it, it became a rudder for us and, uh, for both of us actually. And, and, um, and uh, it was very helpful, you know, and she, she got me going to Al-Anon and that, that was helpful. With the both, Ted and Amy kind of got out of their own heads and enjoyed each other's company and did something new, which is really good advice for anyone with, you know, depression. Here's a song that they did about bumming around Milwaukee together, looking at a Fonzie statue, enjoying fresh air and being friends. It's called Milwaukee. Spin Magazine called the both the best thing either artist has ever done, and a pleasant late career surprise from an auteur who needed more power and a rocker who needed more pop. There's more rock in Amy's albums than she gets credit for, and there's more quiet contemplative melody in my albums than I get credit for. Uh. And, um, uh, you know, but I will say that, that, you know, working with her on actually writing I mean I think you can hear that in the in the both and that it is some of the more rocked up you know stuff like it raised her rock game a little bit and it also raised my you know uh better calmly holding a melody you know <laughs> uh, instead of yelping a uh, game a little bit in the video for Milwaukee, Ted plays himself as well as his fictitious troublemaking uncle Ed Leo. He's very funny. In fact, he's been doing a lot more comedy over the last few years. I, one of the, one thing that I I always you know tell people when they ask like how do you know you know these comedians or what you know comedians are people and therefore not true they they <laughs> well some of them are some of them are. Okay. And they, so they like music, you know, they're people who, some of them have liked my music and as I have been a fan of their comedy. And then, you know, over the years you, you just start bumping into people until you become the, the token musical guest on everybody's uh, comedy podcast. You know? <laughs> 
Here's Ted in that role on an episode of Spontanea Nation, hosted by Paul F. Tompkins, another former guest on this show. All the saddies in showbiz know each other. We need to print up jackets. And I'll tell you right now, the energy is about to go way up in your ears. But if you listen to the words, the subject matter doesn't really change. I don't think I cry when I'm happy. Wow. I cry a lot. I'm not, I'm not happy very often. <laughs> do you get... <laughs> Do you there? I mean, do you get choked up out of happiness? I get choked up out of beauty. Okay. You know, let's say that's the same thing. Okay. <laughs> um, let's say when you see something beautiful, you're happy about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm, but I'm not though, because it's also like in this dying world, you know, everything's decaying, and this oh one God. sprig of beauty, you know, peeks through, and it just ah. makes you aware of how horrible everything else is to a certain wow. degree. I think you know. Wow. Yeah. You're a married man. I am. Did you get close to choked up on your wedding day? <laughs> um, I did. Yeah, I did. I did. But it was also, I mean, you know, it was also. You thought about all the people who can't get married. <laughs> uh, that did go through my mind, actually. Um, yeah, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of, um, I mean, you know, we wrote our own vows. And mm. as I'm thinking about it now, yeah, my vows and in, in, did entail things like, you know, in this sick, tw you know, twisted world, to be able to find a, 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 a moment of, you know, like that kind, you know, yeah, it's a hard place, and you know, like, so yeah, that uh, man, oh man, Ted became unstuck. Working with Amy Mann helped him find some confidence again and figure out who he was a little better. He brought that energy back to those songs he'd written and got them out into the world as the Hanged Man album. And the album doesn't sound like someone throwing his body around. It sounds like someone with clear eyes looking at himself and looking at what has happened. He sings about the daughter he loved but never met in Let's Stay on the Moon. had a daughter and she died in 21, 29 and I'm barely alive, but there's nothing left to fear. Other music on the album deals with a piano teacher who abused him. I asked Ted what songwriting means in his life today. Is it a pressure valve uh, or is it a escape? Like, can you, can you just not deal with this stuff by going into music or is music your way of dealing with this stuff? I think it's probably more my way of dealing with it, but I, I also don't want to say that it's um, in that cliched way that like it's my outlet. You know, I think that, I think that the, I think that honestly the way that I deal with this stuff now is, is, is through therapy, which I'm, I'm long overdue for going back to actually <laughs> right now. Um, and, uh, um, you know, using the, the things that I've learned in therapy at, uh, Al-Anon, which I'm also probably long overdue for going back to, um, reading books, talking to the people that I, that I trust, um, uh, about, um, you know, who can, who can help me reorient myself when I feel like my thinking is going, um, awry. 
that's how I get, that's how I really get through it. Um, music is, uh, is part of the process in that, um, I think that work, you know, task music is, is like, it's a work, it's a task, it's a hobby, it's all of the above, you know? And so, um, I feel like it does always have something to offer, but it's, it's not the main mode of, of dealing with, um, the struggles in the broadest sense that, that we're talking about. Do you still put yourself in harm's way physically? I don't. In the same ways, I think that what I have, something that I still need to explore about myself is that if I see a perceived um, injustice, you, you know, usually involving, a, you know, something happening to a friend or something, um, I will often put myself in the middle of it in a way that is probably still a challenge because I don't care what happens to me, you know, okay. and that, that's something that I really, um, I, you know, I, it's, I can laugh about it. I think if you talked to, um, to either Jody or Amy, man, you know, they would <laughs> laugh about it with you cause I know they've seen it. Um, but it's, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not something, uh, when the moment is passed that I am proud of, you know, what do you know now about mental health and mental illness that you wish you knew a long time ago? Well, let's just start at the beginning. I wish I knew what it was. I wish I knew that it existed. I wish I knew that there was, um, a, a world of ways, uh, to, to um, help navigate um, these mazes. Um, and I think one of the best things, one of the most helpful things that I have learned that I wish I knew earlier is that, um, you know, the, I think it was, um, I think it's, uh, it's uh, Pema Chodron who uh, says like, there's no such thing as a true story. And, all of the 12 step programs have their analogous, um, their analogous, uh, you know, uh, aphorisms. Um, and it, it's that whatever narrative we're bringing to the table, whatever we think is going on, uh, it, not to diminish our feelings about anything, they may be correct, but they may also be the result of, uh, perceptions that uh, do not actually square with reality. Stay tuned after the credits for a brand new Ted Leo song, an unreleased song, a hidden track. It's called Day After Day, and it's his gift to Hilarious World listeners. You have to listen to the credits first, though. You get to listen to the credits. Lucky you. The credits are awesome. The Hilarious World of Depression is produced by American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Kate Moose is executive producer. Recording engineer this time around, Veronica Rodriguez. Johnny Vince Evans was our technical director. Christina Lopez is the chieftain of our web and social media presence. Thanks also to Nate Toby. 
Our theme song is called Pagliacci. It was written and performed by our good friend Rhett Miller of the Rocky Roll Band Old 97s. Much more about Rhett is at his website, rhettmiller.com. And be sure to check out Rhett or the Old 97s on tour if you like Rocky Roll. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-800-273-8255. The Crisis Text Line is available in the United States. Text 741-741, and a trained human crisis counselor will text you back. Confidential, secure, free. They are there to get you to a safe, calm place. Why do you think Ted Leo sings so much higher than he talks? Did it make you think of Getty Lee? The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by health partners and makeitokay.org. Make It Okay is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illness. Makeitokay.org has information to check out for yourself or for someone else. Starting the conversation about mental illness can be awkward. Make It Okay has tips on what to say and what not to say, stories of hope from people who've been there, you can take the pledge to Make It Okay at makeitokay.org. We're on Twitter at THWOFD. You can write to us in an electric mail at THWOD, THWOD, at AmericanPublicMedia.org. We're on the World Wide Web with a worldwide website, hilariousworld.org. You can even pick up some cool merch right there. And head on over to our Facebook. We've got some Ted Leo videos over there. Many of them are very funny. Write us a review for Apple Podcasts and subscribe, too. And give us a star rating, five of them if possible. The more buttons you push on Apple Podcasts, the better it is for us to reach more people. We want to reach more people. Yay. Our next episode is our final episode of season two, but we are coming back for a season three. Yes, we'll take a little break. Maybe we'll take a vacation, a chance for us who work on the show to not think and talk about depression all day, every day at work. And then we'll start putting out some placebo episodes and soon enough season three. Now, season three is exclusively interviews with ventriloquists. Not really. But in our season two finale, comedian, YouTuber, and all-around swell person, Hannah Hart. Yesterday I went on my Twitter. Might have heard of it. It's a social media platform. And I asked everybody to send me their LGBTQ plus questions in what I like to call a Q and gay. So, in an effort not to waste anybody's time, let's get straight to it. Or rather, gay to it. <laughs> all the colors of the rainbow. I'm John Moe. Bye now, and here's Ted Leo. It happened in the morning, and again she's breathing clay. She took it to the river, but she couldn't float away. A loner in the car again, it was enough to drive her mad. How could she not get hung up on the things she never had? Day after day Ooh. No one really knows you And no one knows what to say Day after day Ooh. You don't get any better And it doesn't go away 
Stay. 